Well, uh, Matt Ray, you're over there in Oceana. Yes. Uh, yep. I'm going to, later on today, a scant, I don't know. You know, isn't it always <laughs> the way that, like, I've, I've found now that I am a so-called expert traveler, uh, the day goes on, I'm getting stuff done, and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I got to leave for the airport in 30 minutes. And the next thing you know, I'm mm-hmm. packing for a, a week and a half trip in 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you have this this you, issue. You don't have a go bag? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like the other phrase for that, a bug out bag. No, no. Yeah. I, I sort of have a mental go bag. I mean, I've optimized as much as I can. I have the toiletry uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I generally have the, all my electronics packed, so I don't have to, I just got to put the laptop and the iPad in there. And, uh, and I sort of know like the same, you know, not set as in one days, but the same collection of clothes that I take. So I'm sort of set there. However, slight wrinkle, no pun intended in the plans. I got, I got one of those, uh, European suitcases. I was, we were down in Portugal on vacation and on the way back up, I got a, uh, European, you know, what? What does that mean? Check-in bag. Well, haven't you noticed all the European bags oh, the, the, the are bag like smaller? Are different. Yeah, yeah. Like we yeah, we just yeah. we just I guess literally rolled in with our American size carry-on bags, <laughs> and and the 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 looks on the KLM's people's faces were just like it was it was as if as if the 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 Europeans had the saying that I think uh, has had some slight currency back in the states, which is like, <laughs> oh, darling, bless your heart. <laughs> You're like. <laughs> You're like, well, I just came from Little America, and I've got a to-go bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, the American—I think—I think the American carry-on size you could fit maybe 1.5 European carry-on sizes in there. Not, not really yeah, 1.5, maybe yeah, 1.2. I, I, I still have my American size one, and you know what? I just, I just roll with it. I'm like, you know what? Until somebody pulls this thing off the plane, yeah, I, I'm gonna keep. Yeah, doing it. no, I it, hear that. that. So, so my my yeah. concern there is one, you know, might as well. Like, I make a lot of day trips, and uh, I've tried the whole like backpack thing, and I tried this, but it's just like I got one of those fifteen inch Max, and it's just heavy. You throw that in there mm-hmm. with your clothes, and it's just too heavy for a backpack. You know, well, and I, think, I think Apple Apple had some new announcements, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. But I don't want to go up buy on the mark. I don't want to buy a new laptop. <laughs> I'm on that three year refresh cycle. I, I don't I don't care that much. I, I was no thinking if I got the proper adapter, maybe I could get away with an iPad and just hook that up to a uh, uh, a projector, and do my presentations. I, I need to test that out. That would be awesome. Be the guy who takes an iPad. Anyhow, so I got that. I got to repack all that. But this gets back to my original question. I'm going. I'm going on a uh, a trip to to parts of Oceania, the Asian part of Oceania. For for uh, or Asia, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I just like the funniness of of Oceania or Oceana. That's yeah. that's like maybe that's one of my regionally insulting things, but like such a nice phrase. It's fun. Uh, so I'm gonna be gone for twelve days. I'm gonna go to tonight slash tomorrow. I'm gonna go to Beijing, and then I'm gonna go to uh, Tokyo, and then I'm gonna go to uh, Seoul, and then I'm gonna round it out in everyone's favorite town. Singapore. Uh, I like Singapore. Yeah, see, I knew everyone likes Singapore. They just like it's people dig that place. Uh, so here's what I want to ask you, Matt Ray. Give me some tips. What what uh what are what are some things that you you would you would uh you know that I would find valuable? Which which you know uh, I'm not very adventurous generally. 
and I'm more interested in just creature comfort. So what 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 do I need? What do I need to do? What's going on? Uh, well, what 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 do you mean? Like like tourist uh, advice? No, or? no, just just yeah. whatever. You know, you're 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 traveling around there trying to make people compliant and automate their auditing and everything, and yeah. uh, and then you're like, oh yeah. Uh, I, I remember I didn't used to do this thing, and now I do this thing, and it's pretty awesome. Um, like you well, know, so the, like in the, the household, the swath of territory. Yeah. In, in the household, hey, we, always put the toilet seat down. That's a good tip. <laughs> just just get into that habit. Um, okay, so so I was in uh, Tokyo last week, mm-hmm. and uh, my my advice there is uh, get yourself an American style hotel. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the hotels in Tokyo are lovely. Uh, but the, the selling point, uh, when I checked into my Japanese style hotel was they were like, Oh, well, you'll be happy to know that the public uh, baths are, are on, you know, the, the 28th floor. And I was like, I'm not going in a public bath. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you know, I, I wanted to hear about maybe, you know, uh, the gym. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, so, so, uh, you know, but uh, and and you know the rooms were the rooms were small because it's Tokyo. That that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. Sure. I'm, you know I'm not the claustrophobic type. But uh, you know the uh, if 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 you know if you're already spending the money, maybe stay at the Westin. You know mm. they uh, uh, you know the Westin had a really nice big buffet breakfast. I, I I'm big on the buffet breakfast. Oh man, that's so, that's the best. That's what I look for. Yeah, although, yeah. although now that I'm on this just eat oatmeal cuz I'm trying to be healthy plan, it kind of like fucks up the whole well, you can hotel do that meal, anywhere, right? but I'll figure yeah. that out. And in Japan, you can get the uh the vegetable um uh muesli, which is mm. weird. Wait, come again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like muesli, but you know, with dried corn and mm. peas. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Oh well, it looks so, it looks like so. When I'm in Tokyo, being a Starwood now Marriott fella, I'm staying at the yeah. Courtyard Marriott Tokyo Station. And, when when uh, are you going to be there? My theory, my theory was it's right next to the train station, so that might be interesting. I don't know. Uh, when am I going to be there? I do know that I am going to be yeah. there the night of Sunday, November fourth, departing the afternoon. I think of uh, Wednesday, November seventh. <laughs> thanks Trippet. um yeah i i'm uh i'm gonna be back on the 14th uh, i had to cut mm. my my trip short and uh i get to go back so, so so i think i think i'm all over tip number one stay in american hotels that is that is like basically i got that one that's good i'm into that 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 is that also goes for india mm. um but uh yeah singapore singapore is good you know everywhere you go i i uh I get along well in Singapore, but, uh, uh, cause you know, the thing about Singapore is you can like go outside and run around and, you know, it's, it's, uh, Tokyo. So, so what I do, you know, my, my, my routine is I usually like to, to run in the morning, um, and then, you know, go stuff up on a huge breakfast cause I never know when I'm going to eat during the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that works well in Singapore, but in Tokyo, not so good. Cause you know, it's kind of crowded for, for running and, you know, um, and then, so then I'm like, oh, I'll go run in the gym. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a gym, I'm like, I'm not going to go run in the baths, right? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so healthy, Matt Ray, so intimidating. <laughs> not really, no, it's it's very aspirational. So you know, you you've got, uh, you know, you said you you got your your you know your idea of what you should 
pack for for when you go. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like I actually have a a detailed checklist of you know everything to bring uh, every time I go on a trip because I inevitably I'll forget you know one thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so you know I I have literally paper. I go down it, check things off, and uh, and and on that list it's like you know. Uh, running shoes, running you know, shoes, two yeah. pairs of running socks, um, you know, running pants, running shirt, mm-hmm. um, you know, all, all of that gear because, you know, there'll be, well, I forgot my, you know, <laughs> I forgot my shorts. Um, so it's like not running this trip or, you know, I brought my shoes, but not socks, you know, mm. so, uh, that, that, that's, I, that's, Man, you gotta, you gotta, maybe you can redact some stuff with big black rectangles, but you got to share this travel list. I'm sure like myself, oh, every, yeah. everyone wants to see it. They want to see what's going on there. How many, <laughs> and the, how many does, does Matt Ray bring a USB mini adapter or not? Does he have a squid adapter? How many power cords does he bring? What's, what's well, your, what's your backup situation when it comes to recharging? Yeah. So, so I actually, the, the, the list used to be longer and I've had to consolidate it. So mm. it fits on one page. Oh, I see. Um, so now, you know, it used to it used to say like you know, uh, each and every power cord, and now it's just like power cords. And so then I'm like, all right, power cords, you know. And and my laptop bag it's always packed, so I don't have to really look for them. But I'm like, mm. I'm going to Singapore. I need to get you know a Singapore power adapter, or you know, I'm going oh, yeah. to uh, see, yeah, yeah. Or I think I think I've got those multi. What what do they use in China? I forget. Uh, it looks like, well, it depends where you are in China, but, uh-huh. uh, it looks like, um, it looks like the U S prong, but it's different. Oh boy. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're in Hong Kong, it might be, uh, the British one, the, the, the British one. So what you're saying um, is, is I, because I have not gotten a Chinese adapter, I won't be able to plug into anything. No, no, it, it looks like the U S but I think. Uh, maybe the voltage is different. Oh, you know, man. if okay. you've got a three, pr- if you've got a three prong U S it won't work. Ah, so just two prong. I love those two prongers. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hit me up with one more tip. Do do it. You know, if you were to do a chart of places I've been least that I find the most confusing, I think I think China would be right there. So, like, give me give me give me like yeah. a Beijing tip. What do, what do I do? Oh, well, I haven't been to Beijing. Oh. I haven't been to Beijing. Well, that's too yeah. Bad. So I I got nothing for China. I got uh-huh. nothing for Korea either. No, because you know, I haven't been. Haven't Korea's been there. fine. Um, no problem. Yeah, I've been I've been to Hong Kong, and uh, you know. Uh, Singapore a bunch, uh, and, and Tokyo a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Tokyo can be intimidating, or you know, Japan can be intimidating if uh, if you haven't been, because um, it's all it's heavy on the cash. You know, you, you need to uh, you, you you're gonna need some cash. Mm. Um, I hate cash. I know, I know, I know. Um, but they they don't do a lot of credit cards. Uh, I've got like you know lots of uh, the travel cards. Google Maps works really well for the trains. Um, but you can't offload, you can't uh, download the the Google Maps of Japan for offline mode because of licensing. Oh boy! So that'll chew up your data, right? Um, yeah, there's just you know, and then each country has like its own data problems, like you know, you know. So I, I have a phone where I pop out SIMs and I put in you know SIMs for each country, but Japan doesn't sell more than a week unless you spend a fair amount of money. Oh man! So here, here's a tip. If you're buying yourself a data sim at the Narita Airport, um, don't do it on the ground floor. Go down the floor. They're cheaper. Hmm. Okay. See, there you go. That's the kind of tips I'm looking for. I, I'm not going. I'm just going to use the. I got. I got two phone. I'm two phone person now. I got the work phone and oh, the yeah. personal phone. So I think. I think I'll have that covered. We'll see what happens. Yeah. 
Well, well, all right. Well, you know, we were uh, speaking of all that. We, like I said, we were just one more thing on, on the travel, our our, our uh, regular travel introductory thing. Uh, we we were down in Portugal on vacation, and uh, you know, we had we got we got the two kids and and Kim and I. So you got just like a whole mess of luggage, and everyone's got an iPad. Plus, I had my work stuff, and uh, you know. I think, as I've mentioned here, when I go through the uh, the security line and ship hole, I'm often told uh, as as I'm assembling my bag back together because they've uh, the very friendly security people there have told me I have quote too many electronics. Uh, you know, I, I get told that, and I don't know what to do about it. But the, down there in uh, in Lisbon, they're just no, you know, as they used to say, no fucks to give. They don't care. Just put it through. No problem. I think I even, when I was unpacking, I even found that we had like two, two, uh, squirt bottles of suntan lotion. Just, you know, not, not in a bag somewhere. They don't care. Just send it through. No problem. So that's, that's the, uh, that's the airport you want to go through. The Lisbon one. Very, very relaxed. They're like the, the New Zealand of Europe. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of making your life easier by uh, figuring out how to deal with large pools of uh, of things, maybe data in this point, do you want to tell people who uh, who's sponsoring this episode, Matt Ray? I, I do. So this episode is sponsored by Datadog. And uh, this week, Datadog wants you to know about Watchdog. Watchdog automatically detects performance problems in your applications without any manual setup or configuration. By continuously examining application performance data, it identifies anomalies like sudden spikes and hit rates that could otherwise have remained invisible. Once an anomaly is detected, Watchdog provides you with all the relevant information you need to get to the root cause faster, such as stack traces, error messages, and related issues from the same time frame. Why don't you uh, sign up for a free trial today at www.datadog.com slash talk. And tell your friends that uh, software. Tell them that your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. How's that? Fantastic. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, not much news today, huh? Well, not today, <laughs> but I think on Sunday, the big big news, big news, Brandon. Big news. What was the big news? Uh, I think the big news with. Uh, that IBM has uh, announced its intentions to an, uh, acquire Red Hat. And I think uh, I just want to give a shout out. The first time I saw it was uh, the, the software-defined talk that our friend Jordy, he posted it. This is like Sunday afternoon. I was watching uh, American football over here, and I was just like, oh, that's interesting. That, that'll that that'll give us something to talk about this week. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I personally had not um, – you know, obviously, there's long been rumors of Red Hat being acquired by I don't know, probably almost everyone. So I, I, uh, but I had no idea that it was really going to happen, or that it, I didn't even hear any like grumbling. So I, mm. so kudos to I guess uh, I don't know if you guys did, but it seemed uh, it seemed like it was a pretty uh, well kept secret. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you know, if if you've been uh, trying to trying to hear. Well, you know, in in retrospect, people are like, "Oh yeah, I knew about this or that happening." This was pretty well, pretty well uh, kept kept quiet. Um, hmm. You know, I, I think some of the articles uh, mentioned some of the other potential acquirers. Um, when I guess when Red Hat started getting serious about it, they let other people know that they might be on the market, and uh, so you know, Cisco was mentioned as a. Uh, as a, a, an option or uh, 
Microsoft uh, or Google. Uh, Google apparently was was one of the higher higher bids. Um, uh, I think rumor I heard was that Cisco put in for thirty million for thirty billion, uh, and that that was a thirty four billion. So that's uh, quite the acquisition. Man, I must be like living in, in a cabin in the woods because, like, you know, I'm not hanging out having like uh, open face sandwiches with anyone who's got some rumor mill about acquisitions. <laughs> Well, that, that's the thing. It's almost like retroactive rumors, right? Oh, People are like, oh I yeah, I, I heard it was Cisco. So this is like third hand for me. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt on your sandwich. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think that it's, you know, clearly, you know, at this level, it's kind of interesting because it'd be interesting to understand the investment banker side of it. So obviously when Red Hat was like, yeah, we're really going to sell and, you know, they started to get some real offers. I mean, of course, these. You know, I guess that's the kind of the dance, right? Of course, these investment bankers are going to have to reach out, but given the size and everything, they they probably, you know, they have to work hard to keep it quiet too, right? Because there's just because uh, I think, I mean, it was just interesting to see it play out Sunday. It was like there was like the the news. I think Blue, Bloomberg broke it, as far as I could tell. They were the first. Yeah. Uh, they, and then, uh, but it was only like it was probably. Because uh, you, know, you kind of read it, you're like, oh, well, maybe something will come out on Monday, and it'll like, you know, maybe there'll actually be some news on Monday. And it's like, but it was like maybe 30 minutes to an hour later, the official press yeah. releases went up, and so, um, so I don't know. I just, it is interesting. It would be interesting to talk to investors like how hard you could like just given the size. I guess you know this is, I don't know, depending like there's a lot of different people said, but it's either like the number one software deal or like the fifth biggest acquisition, just given the size, I don't know, maybe this is where you don't, you're not shopping something like this around, like as just because it's so big, right? There's only a few people that can even, you know, do a deal of this size. So, so maybe in mm-hmm. this case, it isn't as competitive as maybe it is for like a, a much smaller, like tuck in acquisition. Mm. Well, you know, you, you, I mean, you have to, well, I should say have to, it's probably an extremely good idea to shop it around, right? Because otherwise you like set yourself up for shareholders being upset, right? Like you don't want a, uh, a single bid thing or something, right? And, well, and as as in a you know as a point to that, like while while like the spread, I think it's like a sixty percent premium on their share price, like which mm-hmm. which sounds awesome. But then I I forget where I remember reading that like the in the summer it was actually much higher than. Uh, what it was like at 170 instead of 100 something and so the right. it's actually like a 7 to 10% um what do you Off call it premium yeah. on the 52 week high or, or some nonsense yeah. like that so you know if you were if you were some uh, uppity shareholder maybe you could cause problems but uh like if you shop it around to people you're just like well that's the way economics works right like we tried and all the, these and- different people and uh you know it seems fine and I don't, I'm, I'm no whatever, but like, seems like a good deal. (laughs) Like that's (laughs) for, for both parties, right? Like that's, that's a, that's a ton of money. And, uh, yeah, it would be hard not to like shop it around to people. But also as, as you're saying, the other issue is like, I, I mean, you know, I, I, as I was complaining about in the Slack channel, I wasn't complaining as I was stating, like, I don't really have, I don't have time to do this. I got five kids to feed and all that, but you know, uh, there's not that many companies who have that much cash to splurge around on things. So, uh, you wouldn't have to go visit many folks. And it's, so, a, it's always funny. Cisco's always in there. Good old Cisco. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's interesting, like a place of so many hot takes, you know, uh, around this. I think maybe the, the place I'd like to, uh, or the question I always have at the beginning of this is just what was the, um, uh, cause Red Hat, I think has been 
you know, the speculation that Red Hat's going to be acquired by someone, I don't know, like 10 years, 15 years. I don't know. It's been going on for a long period of time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm just interested, like, what was, um, why right did now. they decide that, like, this was the time that they should really sell? Like, what was, because I don't feel, uh, like, it feels like it's more like a decision they've been thinking for a long time and then they just decided to do it. Because it wasn't, I don't personally, I don't feel like there's been, like, some event in the last, like, say, month, right? Or whatever that's just like, oh, that's clear to me that's like, this is the reason they felt like this was the time to sell. So I don't know. Uh, be interested to get your take on on what it was. What was the spark that made this happen? Yeah, well, I I mean, I I have I have no idea, but like I <laughs> I uh, but and I'll go on. Like uh, I mean, I you know, I hadn't even thought of that like question. Like I I would assume that like Red Hat kind of didn't care. Like like it was just. I mean, obviously, you always want to get like a nice premium and like blah blah blah. But like. I don't know. Like, why would they want to sell necessarily? Like, the only reason you would want to sell one is if, uh, I mean, the most cynical version is like your executive team sort of tired and they're just ready to buy their own cabin in the woods and they want to sort of like cash out and they're, and, and then, uh, Red Hat's had a good space. So now's a good place to like go out and do that. But that's, I don't really get the sense that that would be the case. I mean, they, they seem like a pretty, um, uncynical company (laughs) um and uh and then and then so you could also say like ah when we look in the next like five years we're not going to be able to like cut the mustard and so we need some help from someone else which uh there's a little bit of that but i think i think the the resiliency of red hat over the past i just use numbers like five arbitrarily but like they seem to be doing all right, like figuring out themselves as a business and, and doing things. Now, if I had more of my pivotal hat on, I'd probably figure out some reason to say they're like a terrible company that's, you know, <laughs> joyfully dying or whatever, but I'm trying to be uh, un, unbiased. Uh, and then, and then I guess third, like there's sort of like the genuine like synergy, which, and it's hard to separate like bias and stuff from this, but like, I have a feeling that Red Hat finds it more difficult to sell to high-level enterprise stuff than they would like to. Like, they have great sales, great penetration, and beyond even penetration market share in their areas, right? But, and again, very biased, but, like, the, the conversations I have with people are more, like, they think about Red Hat, but they don't think of it as, like, a premium sort of thing. And it may not be, like... Uh-huh a strategic thing that like the CEO or even the rest of the C-suite like thinks about. And so if you, if that's true and you were in that position, you might think like it'd probably be better to be with IBM and then, or, or be, be with someone bigger. And then, you know, the list, I guess the list, let's, let's just stick with uh, IBM, Microsoft, uh, Google and Cisco. Uh, so Cisco, let's just take that off the list right away. Uh, then we go to like Microsoft. So what's going on? Like if I'm Red Hat, right? Like, why do I want to join Microsoft? Well, they seem to like open source. They have Azure. They sort of solve your problem of selling to executives. I mean, Microsoft is, I think, strategic in many areas and probably in that area. And then you have Google. And then Google is like, as always, like uh, can use more help in the enterprise space. They're they're evolving mm-hmm. their maturity there, and so it's almost like Red Hat would be the stronger enterprise sort of sales force uh, with Google. Right. And then you're with IBM, which I've artfully crafted my reasoning. Like it fits pretty well with IBM. I mean, IBM 
the only issue you potentially have with IBM is the stuff all the people complain about is like, I don't know, they're IBM, they're boring and, uh, they're not, they won't respect our culture. And like, uh, they have, like I saw a lot of people saying they have a bad history with acquisitions, which I, I don't think is really true. They have, they no, have a mixed, I, I, I think, they have a mixed history yeah. with small acquisitions, but that's also because they're small acquisitions. But when it comes to like the big brands, like they, I don't really know storage very well. And I don't know, like if the weather channel has been awesome for them, it probably has been. Cause that's actually a very practical application of Watson and AI stuff. But like when it comes to big brands, they're pretty awesome at that. And granted, all the people who worked on integration and M&A on the big brands we know about from the late 90s and the 2000s at IBM have probably long since retired. But I think that culture probably still exists really well. There. Like the, the last giant acquisition yeah. they made was probably, what was their BI tool? Business Objects? I forget which one they acquired versus SAP, but... I don't know. They they seem to do fine with with gigantic technology centric acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you know. Coming back to uh, why Red Hat. Oh, the original you know, question was, was that in there somewhere? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was quite the stack of of you know. Uh, but for for uh, <laughs> for a monologue that started with I don't know, <laughs> I have no idea, but I'll go on. Um, you know the uh, the Red Hat. You know clearly they they've been selling Rel and and moved into JBoss and and they they had a pretty stable. You know they, they've been doing really well quarter after quarter. Um, you know continuous growth uh, year after year and and you know they went to a billion then they went to two billion and you know, very predictable. Um, but you but you're right they were never seen as like a premium you know, brand, right. uh, like, you know, it was just like, you know, Hey, this stuff's rock solid. Yeah. You know, you know what you're getting. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, J boss is kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an app server. It's fine. You know, it, it does well. Um, and, and what happened with, with, uh, with OpenShift is it gave them a new relevance with, you know, with those C executives, you know, they're, they're, you know, I actually think they've done a pretty good job of selling the OpenShift vision. If you know, if not the you know the follow through, but at least you know people are are definitely on board with OpenShift as a viable on-prem Kubernetes option, right? Um, and you know, I've seen a lot of it, uh, and I you know, and it, it's because because we're kind of at the point right now with with Kubernetes where it, it's kind of like you know if like five years ago, if you didn't have a cloud plan, you know, as a, you know, CIO or, you know, CTO mm. or whatever, like you're kind of missing out. And right now it's like, I don't know what we're doing, but it better have Kubernetes in it. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you're not ready to go straight to the cloud, you know, hosted version of it, well, then, you know, you don't have, you've got, you know, well, your options are, you know, Red Hat or Pivotal yeah. or, you know, uh, what roll your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of falls off there. And so, so Red Hat was, they were on to, you know, cause they, they bought out core OS. They, uh, you know, they, they kind of got rid of, you know, the, the up, up and coming competition and, uh, the, the public clouds definitely weeded out a lot of that quickly. Um, and so, you know, it gave them 
it gave them a, a, a something to point out as like, you know, that's, that's where the future is. And yeah, IBM needs some of that. Yeah. I mean, maybe, and then maybe to give this slightly more dour case, right? Like, uh, I mean, which, which again, I keep, I keep caveating if that's still how you pronounce that, but whatever, let's just, it's, it's, it makes me nervous to talk ill of Red Hat because of weird reasons. But anyways, I don't know. Both companies are kind of like mildly aimless in their vision and their purpose. Like, <laughs> like, like I sort like, you know, if you, when I would read the quarterly, um, transcripts of quarterly calls of Red Hat, like they were pretty consistent in, uh, rail revenue is awesome. Nothing to see here, which I think is probably more or less true, right? Like, I mean, it's an operating system, so it's not like it's going to like, you know, right. melt the hearts of teens across the world with its, its passion <laughs> and good looks, right? Uh, you know, it's more like, it's more like that Buick the teen inherited that's been running for 30 years and it's just fine. And, uh, and, and, and then, and then, you know, in the past year and a half or so, there's been, um, there was a shift in speaking about OpenStack as the uh, sort of savior and the new thing. And it's shifted over to OpenShift. And you can see there's there's never an exact revenue number given, which is totally proper for what should be going on with, with that business. And totally proper is a little overstatement. Totally cool. Not a, not a problem, right? Uh, and and there is also, there's always lots of commentary about momentum going over there. Then on the other hand, like I think OpenShift is on like the third rewrite or like major reconceptualization, mm-hmm. but it probably has landed in a good place of being like the Kubernetes thing. Now, yeah. the aimlessness is like, I'm not sure how like JBoss fits into that and then like other things fit into it. Uh, and, and I don't think uh, Red Hat has as strong as like, you know, of, of sort of like, a, what am I stumbling to? Like, like, what are they as, as far as a company? Uh, now, you know, mm-hmm. there's sort of glass houses that, that all of us and many people like live in in this regard, but like, um, like what would be a comparison? Like if you compare it to, let's narrow it down to Google, Google cloud. And they're basically like, are you a developer who wants to deploy to public cloud? Hello. Right. Like versus like AWS's thing is sort of like, Hey, you're an IT person or a uh, you're a developer who likes to build all your own stuff. And also we are by far the market leader have been here forever. So how's it going? And then, uh, and then, you know, you got Azure in there that's sort of, uh, you know, kind of the middle of those two. Anyways, like Red Hat's uh, historic, at least in my mind, been kind of like in this weird thing of like, I don't know, I wouldn't know how to pin them down until recently. And a lot of what's in the press releases, you could, kind of say they're like a Kubernetes company. Like, I feel that's like sort of what the press releases are shooting for now. And yeah. then, and then, and then just to close out the other, the other thing, and then, and then we should, you know, Brandon is always the uh, ray of sunlight and you and I cheer about things, Matt Ray. So we should get, we should get his take, but uh, you know, and then on the IBM side, I think you don't have to build that much of a case to say they've been kind of like aimless. Uh, well, aimless is the wrong word. I think I think their aim has been aiming towards targets that other people can can neither see nor understand. Uh, and <laughs> you sort of like, you know, Watson sounds cool, but I think MD Anderson kicked them out because they didn't cure cancer, you know, in six months or whatever it is they wanted to do with them. And like, what what is... All, all of the uh, the structure and the strategy sort of was shifted behind cloud and Watson. Um, 
and then the ever churning profit machine of Z and things like that. But like, so does Watson work and does cloud work? And I think the answer is, uh, probably not (laughs) (laughs) or or to put it in another way those that 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 strategy of the past however many years i don't think many people would say it's been a resounding success so both of them sort of like need to filter down to something more straightforward and the company that you read about in the in the press release i guess there's only one press release copied to each website uh, to use another like backhanded funny joke, sort of like that sounds like a company I'd like to work at, right? Like that that seems like uh, which is often said by people who work at that company in an ironic way. In case you don't know that joke, so it seems like seems like a good combo. They're going to do your hybrid cloud, and uh, you know I could go on and on as I did in the show notes here about proprietary stuff and all this, but it's a lot less aimless than how I would uh, think of these two companies on their own. But Brandon. What's what's your what's your lukewarm take? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think just <clears throat> clearly a lot of stuff to unpack there. But you know, I when I come back to it, I think it does you know make sense in the sense of okay, Red Hat sort of has maybe assessed maybe over the past year. I think maybe that management team has sort of assessed like okay, if we're going to compete, we need to compete in cloud and just the the time, money, and where they are. I think that sort of makes sense that like hey, we're at a place that given the, the people we're competing against and the money we're going to need, it does make sense for, for us going forward to pair up with someone. So I think probably, you know, six, 12 months of management thinking at Red Hat has led them to that. And then as you look forward, I think, you know, like the, I always kind of think of it as like two two ways, like, you know, the very optimistic take I think would be that, um, you know, Red Hat and their all their investment in containers is that they've sort of, you know, they figured it out, right? They're going the right direction after having, you know, gone through a couple different iterations of their strategy is that you no know, containers and the way that they're building it out really is the platform of the future. It needs to be finished, of course. There's a lot of work to be done, um, but that is really <laughs> going to be the way. Friends. Yeah, I mean, the whole open shift and all that. But it's sort of like, you know, you could say, if you want to make very optimistic, be like, they, they did. They've sort of, you know, figured out how containers are and they're, you know, integrating that in there and they've done some really smart acquisitions and that this is going to be, if you will, the preferred way to build cloud native applications going forward. And it's going to provide this optionality that customers want. Like once you get in there, it's like, hey, run it, run it on premise or run it in the cloud. And that that's something that they can really um, that this, excuse me, this new entity will own. Right. So that's sort of, I think, the most optimistic take. I mean, the the place I have the hardest time with. Right. is just the whole, you know, one hybrid cloud messaging. Right. Because that that really feels, mm. they really make it sound like you're just going to switch between these two, right? This idea that like you'll just, oh, I'll just um, take it and I'll flip it over to uh, Amazon or IBM Cloud or whatever. And I, you know, that feels like, it almost feels like that's just never going to happen, right? You're just going to have, you know, it's going to be one or the other. You're not going to be actively moving stuff, uh, big applications back and forth. And then two, um, you know, I think the people side of this is important, right? The idea that like, you know, there's lots of places Red Hat could have been acquired where I think it would have almost been a standalone entity just by default. People would have really, quote, left it alone, right? Maybe Cisco being a good example of that. Um, but because cloud is, at this point, it's like the central message of IBM, right? It's that it can't really be, you know, if you will, like, I know, and the, and the nuances in the press release were really interesting. I thought IBM's kind of, or the messaging was like, you know, it's going to be, a, uh, Red Hat will be a standalone entity of the IBM hybrid cloud group, Right 
So it's yeah. sort of like I, it comes in, but you're in this specific hybrid cloud group at Ivy. And then in the Red Hat stuff, I felt like the emphasis was more like we're going to be an independent entity, right? And it's like they're not saying something different, but it is pretty different when you think about it, right? Versus like this is just another division that reports to the IBM CEO and is left alone versus like you're part of this other group in IBM. And there's an incredibly amount – one, there's a lot of people at IBM that work on that stuff. And then this is where – you know, the, these are the details that I think people don't like – that you don't want to talk about in a press release, but they, to me, they just jump out. They, there's a lot of technology in IBM Cloud already, right? There's the Cloud Foundry stuff, which was the basis of Bluemix, which is – and then, of course, IBM has invested its own stuff in containers, right, using a lot of open source technology, but, of course, you know, wrapping it its own way. Then there's the IBM Public Cloud, and then there's some of IBM's just, you know, more generic you know, on-premise cloud stuff. And then you start to, you know, take the Red Hat portfolio and you put it in there. And it's just, you know, the nature of people is that like, there's a lot of people invested in lots of different technology inside of that. And it won't happen overnight, but there can only be so many versions of that to, for it to work. And if it, and if you don't kind of like say like, okay, the future is this, right. And you do the thing that has happened so many times in these integration efforts where it's like, it's a slide deck that's 30, uh, uh, 30 slides long. And it's almost like a choose your own adventure thing. Well, you know, in this case, you want to use this product from IBM. And in this case, you want to use this product from IBM and this, and then you always say, I always kind of joke when I built, I've never, obviously never worked on something this size, but other acquisitions I've been involved in small, it's like, I always say when we have these kind of slide decks it's like we've already lost because we're really just competing with ourselves like we have to spend the entire ebc <laughs> briefing explaining what the portfolio is versus like what it does and then somebody else that walks in they just have one product and they're like yeah we do everything it's awesome and then they, they spend the rest of their time talking about the problem and um there's just a real uh it's i don't know how you stop it like i just think yeah because because the only other way to do it would be to say to kind of declare winners and losers right and nobody wants to do that right the whole idea of um you know loss aversion right we just keep delaying those decisions and we just keep adding slides to the powerpoint versus being like oh that's that's not going to happen anymore just telling the customer well, that's not the future so like to me that's going to be last final thought on that was just like that's going to be the biggest um hurdle i think is rationalizing this portfolio picking a winner and loser and having a clear message going forward yeah because i mean red hat just finished kind of rationalizing what they're doing with core os and yeah. now they're taking that that freshly rationalized view of it and that's kind of i mean you know rel that's big business but you know the core the the open shift is kind of the the gem here for you know this this uh story i mean rel's most of the money but openshift is what you know they've been you know pushing and uh you know so now it's like well you're going to make this openshift stuff that just had this core os injection you're going to make that work and we're going to peek over here at ibm's you know large repertoire of software and figure out well now we're going to mix in some open whisk right yeah like i'm i'm i assume red hat had some sort of you know, functions as a service platform, but I wasn't really seeing it or hearing much about it. So I guess they'll be doing some open whisk. Uh, does it run on DB2? It's going to have to run on DB2. <laughs> you know, it's it's just like all this stuff. Like, no, no, you guys had your JBoss and we had our WebSphere. Guess who wins, right? It, it's just kind of like, you know, there's going to be a yeah. whole lot of that kind of nuts and bolts to sort 
And I and I think that's you know kind of back to like how they position the press release. Like I kind of think of is it's three different product lines that you would kind of want to start to pull apart inside of IBM because you know you gotta you have to merge all the cloud stuff together. There's just no getting around that. But I think the rel business you kind of pull out and like. I think that's just a good business that people are happy with, and that probably runs just like it runs for a long time, right? There's not a lot of changes there. And then, yeah, then you have to rationalize this JBoss WebSphere stuff. So it's kind of like three problems, right? And I think, again, back to this idea of like, well, if you're completely an independent entity and you want to run autonomous, you know, it, it, like there's going to be friction, right? People aren't going to want, like, don't do not do that. Don't don't even uh, change that stuff. So, uh, but to me, like, to really be, to be meaningful, you'd have to start to, like, slice it up, right? And say, like, this thing we're not going to touch. These things we're going to go have some hard conversations. You know, it's probably not going to go well. There'll be a lot of slides, but uh, but we'll be better off, right? Because this is where we want to go. And then, um, and then on the cloud side, right, it really is, that's, that's where you're going to have, I think, a lot of emphasis from every all kinds of people at IBM and Red Hat jockeying for position, for the mm-hmm. politics of it, uh, what's the best technology. Like um, that is going to be like a thorny, thorny issue. And I think, you know, if you one thing at Red Hat has done a pretty good, I think a well, shout out to maybe some of our friends there. I think uh, like the guys at Pod CTL, you know, Brian and the other host, whose name I just forgot, but, uh, you know, they did a good job, like kind of going through talking about CoreOS, you know, they've kind of given you some insight about like, as they're doing the integration and like how things are going to work. So like, it's almost like you almost want a podcast dedicated to that, like the IBM thing, like, what are they thinking? How's it going to work? Which projects are getting uh, publicity, which projects are, are going to live on, which things aren't, um, because that's going to really dictate, I think the success of it. Yeah, and then that that raises a, another nice asset that that Red Hat has, which is uh, they they've kept up an ongoing uh, community of the staff or practitioners that I think I don't know. I never get the sense that IBM still has like uh, I always think of the era of like developer works where like all the Java people would go there and you would like learn mm-hmm. all sorts of new things. But I don't I don't get the sense that like IBM has this conversation with uh, to to use the metaphor going down the elevator. Uh, down to the basement where all your developers and operations people are. Whereas, whereas Red Hat, uh, by nature of explaining itself and going over technologies, like it's they they have that ongoing, they have that transparency that allows that conversation to happen, right? Whereas if if you wanted to know about various things here and there, sometimes it can be hard and in, in the big gargantuan thing of of IBM to sort that out, which does make it a uh, a nice asset. And then also to the your point, Brandon, about people, right? So. The thing I've I've learned to pay attention to over the years is like how the how the different sales forces uh, work out, because you know, mm-hmm. least of all the reason two companies join together is to sell more stuff and and to uh, to to be more profitable and have more more top line revenue at the very least, and uh, that requires having salespeople one not uh, not stop their current and planned for efforts of whatever percentage growth. And then, uh, and then two, uh, hopefully to achieve your synergies, you have some cross selling between the two of them. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I kind of, kind of wrote up this logic for everyone who reads our show notes, but like, uh, as I was typing this out, I was thinking, you know, it seems like, and I don't, I I think maybe I have a better sense for like, well, I don't know. I think I can probably estimate pretty well, like the, the comp plans and situations like IBM and Red Hat salespeople are in, but 
you know, an IBM salesperson is a big deal size person. They're they're like an elephant hunter who's going out there like selling huge deals to people they know well and and all of that. And they and, probably have like two or three accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got they've got what do they call them? Global strategic soon to be galaxy accounts with like, you know, a team <laughs> a team of 15 people who support it or whatever and they'll yeah, they'll boast like, about yeah, the GE account. They'll be like, and and we we've got we've got badges at our customers. They're always very excited to have badges, which is yep. is truly a sign of uh, you know partnership and and things going well. But anyways, and then I you know there are to the point of of uh, uh, of like Whitehurst talking about like bigger deal sizes and stuff for OpenShift. There are big deal sizes. Uh, in the Red Hat world, and I imagine, oh, yeah. I imagine the deal size. I mean, they they've got like what um, a, a billion cash flow, so they they have big deal sizes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but I, uh, just given their product portfolio, they also have smaller deal sizes here and there. So I would imagine average is always dangerous, but the average sort of deal size between IBM salespeople and Red Hat salespeople, I bet IBM's bigger. And so yes. those are two dynamics that are weird to play with. And as as further background on that, historically, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they still do this, but every three to five years, IBM tries to like do a mid-market offering and they'll call it like general business or sometimes they're straight up mid-market or whatever. And as far as I can tell, it never really works out well, right? Like they sometimes sell stuff through channel, like through partners, but I don't know if IBM has ever proven well, and- the, the capability. Maybe... Hmm. After even the PC was really expensive, but after the PC, I guess they had Lotus one, two, three, and the other Lotus businesses, and then OS two didn't really work out. And I think they basically exited the you know below the Fortune five hundred type of market. Um, so it's hard for them to sell smaller deal sizes. And then just finally, you know, integrating these two sales forces together, you've got the elephant hunters who want to protect their their territory. And then you've got the small deal people who like need the help of the elephant hunter. And, you know, they got to work with each other to make this all work out to get, you mm-hmm. know, go up and down the elevator and get access to all the accounts. And so that in my mind, like, sure, it's fun to talk about, like, you know, the uh, the head committer for some obscure file system at Red Hat is going to like, you know, rage quit because he doesn't want to work for IB- he or she, I should say, doesn't want to work for IBM. But also, like figuring out that Salesforce and the sales integration is uh, is is dicey, is or I should say, will require a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I, and, and the well, go, go ahead, Brandon. No, I was going to say, I think to your your point, I think you know all of this goes hand in hand, right? You know the the way the product portfolio is ultimately uh, rationalized is ultimately going to help you know dictate the go to market and mm-hmm. the preferred yeah. sales motion, right? And I think you know I was just looking at the the investor. Uh, deck that you know you put in the show notes here cotain it's just you know like slide two it's just it's just pictures of like five people right it's like the two ceos and kind of the two head of product business owners and i think going forward i I mean when you kind of look at that like that's sort of like at the beginning kind of gives you just a good framing of the problem it's like of these five people right like who ultimately is in charge going forward right and into your thing about sales motions right it's like well, the Red Hat people, they're, they have a certain sales motion. And when they're in the conversations, they're going to bring like, well, this is how we do it. And we do mid-market deals. And there's going to be some interest. Like IBM's like, we want to do that. We're not necessarily a company that does as much of that. And then flipping it around would be like, well, there's going to be the IBM leadership. It's like, here's how you actually make a lot of money. And this is how you rewrap and roll this stuff into ELAs. And like so much of like what the portfolio actually does 
and then who's leading it and then which of these cultures, which sales motion takes over, mm. right? Like all of that really has to be well thought out. And more importantly, just like everyone has to be on the same page, right? For to yeah. even have a chance to work. And that's like, to me, the biggest challenge. Cause, uh, cause again, like if there's a, you, you can already almost hear it. Like you, I could be in a meeting and just hear someone saying like, well, we're going to have the, the red hat groups going to do the mid market and they're going to focus in on the red hat open shift. Yeah. And, and then we're going to have the IBM guys. So they'll be out selling like, uh, you know, the traditional cloud foundry and our other private cloud. And you're just like, okay, this is going to, this is not going to realize the gains. People yeah, want. Yeah. It's very and confusing. I, I think, I think, I think to, to, to tag along on your wake there to mix metaphors, uh, like the, the ideal situation, which very few companies are able to achieve. Uh, I think the only one that springs to mind is like Microsoft. They can do the following more or less, like even they struggle with it, but basically it's the, the entire funnel of, of bagging an elephant, <laughs> getting, getting a really big deal size, uh, especially in the cloud space is basically, you need some interminably frustratingly long process in the funnel where your customer pays you nothing, right? Uh, and and where they just download your software, they use it freely, they pay very little for it, and this this solves your marketing problems and your um, I'm trying to think of a non-military thing, but like you're sort of like seeding the interest, right? Like you're sort of like getting people interested and and you're kind of like bottoms up plan, right? And what you're doing with that, so basically if you're selling like a gigantic cloud deal, what you're doing is you're going eventually to the CIO and all the way to the CEO and CFO if you're really lucky uh, and um, or skilled as I guess IBM is. And you're saying you're going to spend this huge chunk of money over the next five to 10 years because this is going to be the centralized one way that you do this thing, right? Like we're going to be in every single cloud situation. And so the bottoms up part is important to tenderize because you want all of the people in that company to be like, oh, yeah, I use I use that technology. That's great. I've been waiting for you to make that official because otherwise you got to battle with them and like make them switch over their preference to whatever your your elephant is from someone else's other elephant or giraffe or i don't know fruit fly whatever they're dealing with and uh that's a really annoying effort and then equally importantly is the people who are the elephant hunters have no idea what the fuck to do with those people right like they don't really know the the marketing people and and the the field people don't really unless they are really good and they spend effort doing it they don't know how to deal with with the fruit fly people and like all it's completely different sort of conversation and situation. And so if you can if you can get that low end again from deal size sort of like movement and then you slowly or I shouldn't say slowly, you stably uh sort of like shift it over to bigger and bigger, eventually if you can hook those two things up, you've got something that again very few companies can do. And like I said, I yeah. think I think Microsoft can kind of do that and Every company can do this with deals here and there. And my impression of Red Hat is they were sort of like getting to that point where they could like uh, rely on their existing footprint from the bottoms up to sort of like start to get to bigger and bigger deals. Uh, but, yeah. But th- so that is what you would hope for with like Red Hat and IBM merging together, right? Is you could take those two, you could take the uh, the golden pipe fitting of, of IBM and stick it to like the practical titanium pipe fitting of red hat i don't know if that metallurgical <laughs> analogy makes sense but 
you know, speaking of, uh, you know, what power plugs they use in Beijing, that's that's a hell of a pipe fitting job to uh, to pull <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah, I mean, because because IBM probably doesn't have inside sales. <laughs> um, and and that's just like and and, you know, probably Red Hat starts with inside sales. You know, they're mm. just, oh, you know, you want 50 licenses of REL? I got gotcha, you. Right. Nobody at IBM is like, you know, oh, you want uh you know, you want 50 units of blue mix, uh, for, you know, for your mom and pop shop. Yeah. That, um, I, that's my suggestion. Any vendors listening, you should rename your licensing scheme to units, just like whatever it is, you're <laughs> buying units. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the things that hasn't really, I mean, though, as, as we've been kind of talking through this about like, you know, winners and losers and merging things, it's like, I don't see this moving the needle against, you know, Amazon or Microsoft or, or Google, uh, as much as kind of, you know, just taking, taking more from the, the, you know, the traditional enterprise vendors, like, you know, your HPEs and Cisco's and, yeah. and I guess VMware, right. And, and, and EMC, it's like, you know, they may be able to make a, a, a claim for more money, but it's not like they're slowing down what's, you know, funneling into public cloud. Yeah, and and, um, and I think I think I think for me, this is where the uh, the complaint about aimlessness, complaint about aimlessness, yeah. sort of like uh, they have an aim. At least again, at least in the press release, as always. Whatever, we'll just speak to the happy path. Like you know, the whole to, to the whole the whole game uh, in my mind of all the the press releasing and the statements is so public cloud. Well, we kind of like you know fuck the goat on that one. So we can't pursue that as an option, uh, as as Ben Thompson pointed out, right? Like you're too late to the capital expenditure game, and here's some charts. And you know, I always like Charles Fitzpatrick's writing, but he's he's a little like he's he's not going to be your best analysis of IBM guy. He's 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 very much so. Uh, he's a good attack dog on the other side, but he does have good charts about capital expenditure and and, and things like that. Uh, anyways. So they can't really enter the uh, um, uh, the public cloud thing. So no, they're, in, they're just taking money from other people who say you know hybrid cloud is their yeah, strategy. and and then so that be, <laughs> that becomes I think their whole thing. And IBM I think has talked about this is like well it's going to be hybrid cloud, and they go all how do you say the Italian guy's name Petro? They go all like annoyingly Petro. You can see my rant on that again in the show notes. But they're like you know eighty percent. Let me see if I get this. I'm not going to, I'll try to do the wording from memory. 80% of business workloads have yet to move to the cloud. Uh, and so I guess what they're getting at there is what, and then they estimate that like the, uh, I think the cloud market they say will be 1 trillion by 2020. All of this, by the way, no citations or footnotes, just like boom, <laughs> straight on balls out there, going to throw it into the deck. No problem. Maybe in the notes that we didn't get at the PowerPoint slides. They have some citations anyways. So basically they're saying, uh, people aren't going to, people aren't in the public cloud and they're going to have the, the hybrid cloud, which I think they also mean multi-cloud or whatever. They're going to be running multiple clouds and they're on-premise and off-premise. And so it goes all the way back to that, uh, that about 2010 idea of, you know, what would be really great. Remember that term we used to have back in the 2000s called a monitor of monitors or whatever, <laughs> you know, your mom situation. Manager of managers. We yes. should have we should have the mock, 
the manager of clouds. We want to have oh. one place. And can you have those iBankers run the numbers on right scale for us? Because I think maybe that's what we should be buying. Uh, right. And so it's just like an evolution of like, and I'm grossly simplifying it. But, it, you know, that's that's kind of like the hybrid multi-cloud thing as far as I understand it from them is like, you again, the centralized thing you're going to be buying is that all of your cloud stuff and not just, you know, my little neck of the woods of uh, software development, but like all the cloud stuff uh, right. is basically you're going to go through IBM uh, as your uh, IBM's your new mom for for all of that. But I think, you know, what you're getting at there, I think comes back to like what, you know, it's it's like end state vision. Like, what do we believe the end state is? And I do think, you know, I see this uh, number, not only IBM, I see anybody that uh, products that sort of favored on premise quote the like, well, only 20% of the workloads have been moved to the cloud. And and the they, what they're implying is that the 80% is up for grabs. But I, I think if you like use like, I'll just use, there's lots of analogies you use, but I'll use like one like Kodak. Right. Like this is like the digital camera comes out and we just all see it for the first time, like the first one emerges. And then the guys at Kodak were like, listen, only 20 percent of the pictures today are digital. Another 80 percent are still prints. And it's like, no, like everybody has seen the future. Like it's not like we're waiting. It's it's it's, all it is is like and you kind of know at that moment, like I will eventually have a digital camera. So the first one comes out, it's like three thousand dollars. But, you know, you're like. Oh yeah, eventually we're all going to have these cameras. And then what did we do? We all bought like digital cameras that were separate and then they got integrated in the phone and then you know now like you know now it's even hard to find a print camera. But like but I guess my point about saying that is like like there was this time though that we all knew it was going to happen. But like yeah, most of the photos were still print. But that didn't mean that we didn't everyone didn't realize it was all going to be digital eventually, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I think I come back and this the hybrid cloud thing I think is kind of a little bit it's not really like a like to me it's not an end state right it's a thing that we're going to go through and then to your point about like Microsoft or anyone like you want to sell something to the customers that says like yeah I can help you today with your on premise but then I've got this cloud thing that you're probably eventually going to want to get to and it may yeah. take a while it's not going to happen overnight but like we're part of that vision right so like. I can't think of it, you know, the camera analogy would be like, I don't know, maybe it was Canon, right? Who was like, yeah, we make film cameras today, but we're also building out these digital ones. And we think eventually it's just going to be digital, right? And I'm sure that even today they have some print cameras they make, but like, you know, they 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 did that 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 uh, that strategic switch, right? Whereas Kodak maybe never got there. And so there is a point here that that like I look at this, I'm like, do people really understand where the end state is? Like regardless of where you're in today, your end state is going to be like, I'm really going to want the ability to run most of this in a public cloud. That today, now that vision could change in five years and maybe something happens, but that's what you got to be selling. And if you don't have that as the end state, I, that is to me is a worrisome part of that strategy. Yeah. 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 And, and, and to, uh, as, as a uh, side note to that, man, those Microsoft people sure did figure their shit out. <laughs> like, like that, I, uh, yeah, I mean they they sort of like you know given all of our 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 our, uh, our negative side of of all of this they uh they sort of nailed all the points. They they spent all the money to have a public cloud. They still have their existing footprint of thing. They've got the mid-market and the high market, so they've got huge penetration and usage. And then they, you know, they sort of cemented as strong a pipe to the developer world as you would want with GitHub. They also have Office 365. And uh, they're widely considered not to be assholes anymore. So it's just and like, I think, but if you go like back, overall, like think, it's it's been a great transformation for them over the but past I think, however many uh, years. 
hit hit on like why right it's like you know this we'll just steal some ben thompson stuff but like you know they're missing mobile right you know sort of like that miss of that generation of technology did seem to like reset the company's company's strategic thinking right yeah, yeah and it seems like it prepared them for the next wave to be very much like we're not going to be you know we're not going to be as trapped if you are there's a management change right and then there's and we're not going to be as uh if you will uh Hold, uh, hold ourselves to the way we used to do business. And so, and I think that sometimes like, you know, IBM and all these companies are very large. So sometimes you, and you're in the middle of a wave and you're like, some, some people are missing it. You know, maybe that sets them up for the next wave. Right. And obviously mm. there's lots of examples of that. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think maybe, uh, you know, now a basis point is a hundredth of a percent or a 10th of a percent. Uh, a tenth of a percent. Okay, okay. So that, I love it when companies, if you look to their their uh, their IBM stack, they've like something about two hundred percent basis point growth, and it's just like Jesus Christ. Why don't you just use a percent? <laughs> like how this is kind of like I, you know, I think even though we talked about this in my uh, the software defined interviews talk I had with Rachel, where I was like, explain numbers to me, and uh, <laughs> and I was complaining about this, and it's just like I don't, I feel like using basis points. I mean, is there if I enter a basis point into like Tableau or an Excel spreadsheet, does it actually have some different effect? If I enter in 200, does it have some different effect than 0.2 or 20%? Like, I, I think it's the same. I, I don't know. But that's, anyways, that's my complaint about basis points. Uh, but other than that, I just want to, at least from my contributions, uh, like, like uh, close out. And then maybe, maybe uh, each of you have a couple of things to add. But there is a slide in that presentation slide 12 and and uh it is it is a beautiful exquisite well executed slide i think i think this is the best slide i've seen all year i think was it last year that we saw the slide from docker that explained that they were going to uh take out 70 percent of vmware costs maybe that was this year i think that was the last two slides I remember that were this this got me this excited were whatever that slide was, and then I think maybe three years ago when Docker first got a giant round of money, they had that slide that we reference often that was like this this uh, curve going upward. I'm gesturing to the right, and it kind of showed the evolution of their product and the roadmap. That was an exquisite slide as well. But this slide, slide twelve, so good. It's so hard to figure out how to put all of this stuff on one slide, and they've got this blue gradient. So ugh, I don't even want to spoil it for the listeners. You should just go check it out. This is like, <laughs> I envy this slide. It's well, I feel like we should fantastic. at least just read the common beliefs. Here are the common beliefs. It's a hybrid world. Containers are strategic. Innovation is the path forward. Certified stacks are secure. Oh, there you go. I'm getting so there excited. You, 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 can, uh, you can go see how that's... Uh, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's that last one. That is just sort of like the icing on the cake. Because the other ones, you know, sure, whatever. But boom, you hit them up with certified stacks are secure. Mm -hmm. And one, highly differentiated, something you could only get from, you you know, you've got to be certified by these people and secure. Oh, man. Well, I think if you really look at the, uh, you know, we could go an hour on the slide. If you look at the the icons. Oh, the icons, too. So nice. uh, But I'm just going to say, like, I believe this was three common beliefs, right? Because the first three icons Ooh. are custom and they're uh-huh. like, they're all share a very similar design look. And the last one yeah. is just a check, right? It's just a check. It's a little bit different. And it feels like 
there was this like, guys, we got to have something about security. Like we got, you know, it feels like it had it. It was like already formatted and someone threw this in and then kind of shifted it left. And you're like, um, so I, that, that was just, it just, the slide seems to look really feel like that. This, yeah, that was yeah, okay, originally okay. in the okay. original design. Wait, 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 wait to use a broom and get me off my ceiling of excitement there, Brandon. Cause you know, you're, you're right. There is some consistency. So there is a, a, a background on certified that kind of looks like, uh, you know, uh, not even college. Which what's the opposite of college ruled? Elementary ruled, like some ruled paper. And there's basically three colors they use for each of these uh, icons. You got your sort of like grayish color, white, and then I don't know what to call that blue, like Easter egg blue maybe. Yeah. And those three colors are used in each one, so good. But the gray background, the gray is used for background in the other three pictures, and then all of a sudden, boom. For certified stacks, right. they use Easter egg blue for background. All they had to do was use the uh, the gray for background. I think it would have been imperceptible. I, I agree. You and you could look. I mean, I think that that Easter egg blue, like if we went through uh, with a, a color picker, like it just doesn't the 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 color is unique. It's not it doesn't match any of the other blues, yeah. which means it was done yeah. quick and it was added after the fact. And like the guy probably in Photoshop didn't have access to the color palette. Right, is my guess. Yeah. No. No. Uh, so. Yeah. Now, so, one, one more, I, that's one, why I feel like this last one, like, and again, even if you look at the formatting, you can kind of see how the first three are a little <laughs> bit more centered and grouped together, ooh. whereas just that last one's off just a little bit, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I think I think one other one other tactical commentary here. So you mentioned, uh, you know, your your forty page slides of like we could do this and we could do that, like you know, all these different ways of sorting things. I think one, uh, I think that switching from the was it three four aspect ratio and slides to 16.9 allowed for much more expansive portfolio strategy thinking, <laughs> right? Because you can put so many things it, it, more it out. Probably not, no, no change in all of software has single-handedly uh, changed uh, strategy than 16 by 9. No. Yeah, because but, because but you have more like, horizontal space to lay things uh, out now. Amen, brother. Now, there's a tactic here that, again, is another reason why this slide maybe inadvertently is exquisite. You'll notice not only is it a 16.19 slide, but they have gone an even finer grain ratio, which allows them to have a longer horizontal space by basically uh, chopping off maybe the top eighth and the bottom eighth for their title, right, uh, mm-hmm. and and their logo, and then the bottom as well. And they get like – I saw this ratio in one of my photo editors. It's like 18.6. I don't even know what it is, but like it's, it's sort of like a super wide long ratio, which mm, – so much more palette to work with there. You got so much canvas to do things with. But, and I think but, that's what allows them to list those five characteristics on this beautifully gradiented, bi-directionally gradiented blue colors on the left, and then list four four sort of things over there. So once again, wonderful slide. Kudos to whoever made this. The team of people who worked for three weeks late into the night on this slide. It was worth it. But, all right. So So my nitpick is is it looks like such an ibm slide because mm. because oh, but that just makes it so much better it's just like this is the, the slide gradient, i've been waiting for you to make it is choppy which means this is probably a vga slide mm. yeah the gradient <laughs> the gradient's a little i don't know maybe i don't so, know if the originals well, but that gradient on the especially the top blue is a little yeah. little trying but <sighs> yes it could be it, so much it's better it's like it it's it's I don't know, or or maybe that's intentional. They're like, don't forget about IBM. We you know, you know. Let, let me let me here. maybe maybe just to throw out one more life preserver to what I consider a great slide. You know, I don't know if this is true, but 
my understanding is in every every Persian rug, they intentionally put a flaw so they are not as good as God. And I think that's what's going on with that gradient up there. They're like, <laughs> we there's if we fix that gradient, this will be the new idol of worship for the the world. And we cannot allow that to happen. We are responsible people. We are IBM. And we need to. There's a certain cutoff limit that we have. There's a lot of blue in this slide. <laughs> uh, well, do, you, do you all have any more uh, any more comments you want to close out the IBM red hat or the so-called well, blue the, hat? I just had one other comment. I feel like because there's so much. It was, it was interesting. It was fun to be in the software-defined talk Slack. This is the I think this is the best use of the software-defined uh, talk Slack this week. There's just a lot of different comments. But I did think kind of the cultural thing of Red Hat, and it seems to be all over Twitter. It's like, you know, I, I do think I, I, as I thought more about it, like a lot of the rank and file employees, I think were really disappointed. And I, as I thought more about it, I think a lot of people, I think I, I, my assumption is a lot of those people at Red Hat, like really joined because Red Hat was this like incredibly unique open source company, kind of like one of a kind yeah. in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I guess it, as I thought more about it at first, it's like, why, why, you know, like no one should complain. It's like, this is how, the, you know, this is how the real world is. But then I thought for a while more, it's like, I guess I do get it. Like if, if you, if you've, we're uh, someone that was like, that's what you really believe in. You want to work at a company that is sort of the beacon of open source um, business models and the most successful. And that's really the reason you joined or that was one of the main reasons you were there. And then, you know, that um, that's going to change. Like, I do understand. I can understand why you're disappointed and maybe how that comes across as like negative or cynicism. But, you know, as I did, as I did some thinking about it more, it's like, I don't know, like uh, other than Red Hat being standalone, maybe like a private equity, but even that would require that a lot of cost cutting. I'm sure it's like I don't know if there was any scenario um, other than Red Hat just maintaining its independence as a publicly traded company that would yeah. ultimately keep the culture intact. So, yeah. so I get it. So if you were there and and, that, and, that, and that's not available to you anymore, I understand why you're disappointed. And there's probably not an obvious company like you could obviously leave and go do something different in your life, and that's fine. I mean, people do that all the time. But like, I don't know if there's an obvious place you'll go. Work work where that same culture exists so in some ways maybe it is sort of like the sun setting on that like at least that one type of business culture yeah yeah i mean i mean i think i think there's there's uh, as always somewhat of an analogy to have back to speaking of suns to sun right where uh we can all agree that ibm buying sun was the logical natural course of events and then for some reason oracle bought them which is <laughs> bizarre right and uh and i think I don't know. I don't know the numbers, but my hunch is that it, my my statement there and everyone else's has proved out to be true. That is just weird and maybe not not great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean to to add to what you're saying, like it's it's hard for me to think of any other company that strategically it would make sense for them to buy Red Hat. Like people always throw out Cisco. So I guess what I don't I never understand that, but sure, we'll put them out there. It's probably just because they have a lot of money, and so like they they could well, buy. They, they have they have a lot of shared customers. Cisco ships a lot of RHEL. Yeah, they yeah. do all the OpenStack stuff together. You know, they have the same telco customers. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I know this is kind of insulting and overblown, but I always feel like it was the rationale behind like Sears buying Allstate or whatever, where it's like, I don't know, people buy insurance. We have a lot of people come into our stores. What if right next to the salon, we sell them insurance? Whatever, yeah. right? Like, and it's just kind of weird, a weird idea. Or I don't know, maybe it made sense back on their days of foils and uh, smoking cigars in the boardroom. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I don't really know because 
all most of the other companies that would have the money to do this don't really need to own Red Hat. And in fact, right. I, n- I never read Shuttleworth's thing yet, but I bet he's like, I bet he's like, man, everyone runs Ubuntu. Uh, and like, you know, we, you know, it's not that it's not Red Hat is less important than it used to be because everyone just runs like their own Ubuntu thing in the cloud. And so all the cloud vendors like maybe don't need it now, arguably, maybe they would be interested in, in like OpenShift, but then again, they all already have their own Kubernetes thing. And then, and then that kind of like knocks Google out of the running. So like, cause they are their own thing like they wouldn't yeah, really want I mean, any anyways i'm rambling as i like to do but like the the sort if you go down like the plinko board of like elimination of things you end up with like ibm <laughs> like like they're logically the only other one uh, that makes sense and then yeah. to brandon's point like i don't know ibm seems fine to me but i totally agree that like you know maybe there are a fair amount of people who joined Red Hat because they're the, uh, you know, the true open source people, and that's what they want to do. And 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 for a lot of the developers, I think if you know if if their goal is I want to sit and write open source software, I don't think you know IBM puts out a whole yeah. lot of open source. That's that's a right? good place so, to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if 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 you know if you don't want to if you want to keep your head down and just code away like IBM's probably a good place for that right? yeah yeah and um, they and they said they're keeping the uh the headquarters open so you won't fall prey to that policy of uh if you don't work where we have a major headquarter you're fired uh that IBM seems well, to have yeah but rail has a lot red hat has a lot of yeah i guess uh, it expands the remote base. employees yeah yeah so they have to do they still have that brandon that you remember you can only yeah, it's like group by group and stuff like that. Right. I think with this kind of acquisition, but again, that'll play out over years, right? I yeah, think yeah, um, yeah. you know, and of course, like IBM is a big uh, Raleigh facility, Red Hat, yeah. still headquartered there. So I mean, that's all going to play out over time. But I do think to, I mean, I think to Matt Ray's point, I think you know, kind of like, what do you want to do every day? Like, especially if you're on Rel, I think that business, everyone is just going to say, keep doing what you're doing, right? And there's not getting, so yeah, um, yeah. you're going to be a developer, you're going to write code, you can do everything the same. Obviously, the cloud stuff is different, you know, the locations and stuff is different, but I do, I don't know, I do, there was a lot of, uh, you know, because I, I kind of just had the feeling like, yeah, I think IBM is going to support that kind of business fine. Like, I don't, re- I didn't have any kind of, like, negative uh, reaction to it, but uh, but I do think, again, again, it's just back to, like, the vision. If you're, if yeah. you join because you want to say, I'm in an open source company and this is what we do, yeah, I mean, that part I get, I get, I get why you're frustrated, but I think your day-to-day job for most of the people that are, like, at home, working on RHEL, committing to open source, like, I think it's going to be pretty much the same, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Time yeah. will tell. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Any uh, last thoughts on the topic? Uh, well, you know, obviously, um, I think there's a lot of of comp- a lot of uh, people shipping Red Hat who aren't IBM, like you know mm. your HPEs and Cisco's and uh, lots of other partners on both sides who are gonna. You know, it's gonna have a lot of ripples into their businesses. Yeah, like, I mean, you, know, you, people you got you got like my uh, Susa. You got right? like the empire yeah. I'm in. They ship a lot of Red Hat. Exactly, exactly. And and so now when you know, because uh, I, I was I remember when Novell bought Susa. Um, I was working with uh, IBM at the time, and and uh, it was like you know two days later, and you know the IBM guy you know told the Susa guys like if you say anything about Novell, you're out. You know, we'll 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 bring in Red Hat, and so now it's kind of like you know that shoe's going to be on their foot, uh, where 
you know, all these other partners are going to be looking at Red Hat like, you know, you're not bringing that WebSphere stuff into, you know, uh, this deal or, you know, you're not going to you're not going to bring in, you know, you're not going to bring anything from IBM into, into this. And that's going to shake out where, you know, anybody shipping Red Hat uh, or Red Hat, you know, tech is going to kind of, you know, hey, maybe we'll be better friends with Canonical or SUSE or, you know. Uh, maybe we'll call up the pivotal guys and, and, you know, uh, we'll, instead of, you know, do an open shift, I don't know. Uh, I think that's going to take a, uh, a while to sort out. Um, so I'm sure like every, every company out there who works with either of these two companies is having, you know, internal conversations, like, what do we do now? Um, and so obviously, uh, you know, the takeaway is we're going to be talking about this stuff for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just, just like, uh, just like Oracle buying Sun. Oh, Oracle buying Sun, so weird. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a few other. There was also earning announcements and things like that. You know, sort of not predictably, but as, as things have been happening in the past, the, the public cloud companies seem to be doing all right, increasing revenue. I don't know. I didn't do my research to see how the street has rewarded or punished them because, you know, they're like, you only grew 43% instead of 200 basis basis points higher than that, as I was expecting or whatever. Uh, That doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Uh, So, but they seem to be doing fine. And then uh, there was a little bit more like follow on. We talked about Oracle World last time. I think they did get more into talking about their ERP and uh, application software. So, so good for them. And uh, as mentioned earlier, I'll be I'll be over uh, uh, the Asia Asian part of Oceania, otherwise known as Asia, uh, <laughs> uh, over the next couple of weeks, and then I'll be at Devox, uh, Belgium, in Antwerp for just a little bit. And uh, sometime in December, I'm going to be in Toronto for uh, uh, a spring tour. If you're interested in that, December 12th, and there's some other trips I've forgotten about between now and then. Hopefully, not really, actually. I think I think if you're if you're interested, speaking of the aforementioned empire I operate in, there's a Dell Technology Forum uh, on November 20th in London. You should come out and see us. See what's going on up there. They have you'll like this, Brandon. They have sent me some prepared slides to to remain consistent. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna see what happens with that. <laughs> that is awesome. They don't know what they just did. Awesome. Uh, I love I love me some prepared slides. I was oh. looking through them and I was like, "These look great." I mean, they're not as good as that exquisite slide I'm going to see a week and a half into the future that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life that I just saw in this deck. But these <laughs> these are fine slides. I have no idea what the talk track for these would be that I would give. Right? Like, yeah. so uh, yeah. we'll we'll see. Uh, I, I think it's you click it and you're like, "Ah, that's a slide." Next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the only and and this is this is all about my performance of doing things. I think when I'm given prepared slides, the only talk track I would be able to give is like pivotal. How you like me now? Like and maybe dance a little bit. I don't I don't really know what I'm supposed to say. Uh, anyways, uh, and then uh, you know as mentioned, we've had some good Slack interaction, Slack action, ac- action. Uh, do we have any listener feedback to report on this episode, Brandon? Yeah, we do. Uh, John from the UK, he said he got a new work la- laptop. 
and so he needed some new stickers, so I sent it off to him. And of course, uh, if anyone wants stickers, you can uh, email me at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Send your postal address, and we will mail them off to you. And I, I like that uh, we've been doing this long enough that, like, I guess people's laptop re- refresh cycles are coming up. So I, I'm getting every every few uh, weeks, I get a couple like, hey, I got a new laptop. Will you send me more, some more stickers? So really? feels like it's working. That's it's, yeah, it's working. You know, it's part of we're uh, the sticker uh, update cycle is part of the laptop. Re- uh, refresh cycle which i'm happy about mm, that is good i'm i'm loading it now to see if we have any new reviews in itunes most recent most recent nope squid dog still win wins he's he's <laughs> number one squid there dog. that's right we got 29 ratings one person has given a one star rating you know sorry about that but uh, you know, also, uh, if you couldn't tell, we we have a we have a new advertiser, and Brandon's been talking with another one, and I think I think that's uh, well, obviously we do a good job, but that's also because of you, the listeners, uh, listening. So thanks, that's nice, makes us feel good. How how's your how's your your little app doing, Brandon? Have you uh, have you integrated with GitHub pull requests and Watson yet? I know I need to get on it. I just I've I've uh, been distracted with with my other things. But yeah, as always, if you like to make lots of conference calls or you don't like to make conference calls, but you still have to dial the, dial them. Check out a quick con call on the iTunes App Store or the app, Apple App Store, excuse me, and uh, let me know if you like it. It's always great to get feedback. And I'll go ahead and start uh, the recommendations. Uh, I had just uh, a couple things, you know, with all the Facebook and all the privacy stuff. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff written about this, but there's two things I ran across this last week that I thought were really good. One, there's a front line, the Facebook dilemma, and they always do a good job going back in time and kind of like telling the whole story. So I thought that was really interesting and it's available online if you want to watch it. And then there's an episode of The Daily, uh, the New York Times podcast that um, really delved into the business of Internet outrage. And they go interview some people that uh, write the articles. And I was blown away with how many views some of these articles can get. They can get like 20 20 million to 27 million different views in some cases. And I just, someone like, obviously we've been doing this podcast for a while and, you know, we don't get 27 million listeners. I just, the sheer scale of uh, <laughs> the numbers and views was uh, kind of incredible. So it was interesting to listen to like someone kind of just in a calm voice, explain what they do, how it works and like all, and then uh, what that, um, what the reach ultimately goes to. So if you're interested in that, those things, uh, I thought they were like a good pair. It's a podcast to listen to. And if you have time, uh, some episodes of frontline to watch. So enjoy mm-hmm. Matt Ray yourself. Uh, my, my pick, uh, this week is a book I just finished, uh, called the dark forest by, uh, six in Lu. It's uh he's a Chinese sci-fi author. I think I recommended the first book in this trilogy. I just finished the second book. Um, the first book was called uh, Three Body Problem, uh, when the Hugo, I think, um, and uh, Dark Forest. I actually liked it better. Um, so uh, a little bit of hard sci-fi. Um, you know, uh, you got your aliens coming to Earth in 400 years. What are you going to do? Mm. Um, Plan. Very, very, very good story. Um, and I, I went and immediately tracked down the, the final book in the trilogy. So uh, I'm just starting that right now. Oh. Well, I'll just I'll just give a, I have a I have a vague kind of unhelpful recommendation because I don't know what to reference. Last night was uh, Halloween, and uh, the the Dutch not big celebrators of Halloween or most of Europe, mm. as far as I know. N- neither are the Australians. Yeah, Japanese yeah. love it. Oh yeah, yeah. So this that will play a part in my story here. 
so the the there's some some mostly expats I think they get together every year and uh they they find a neighborhood in Amsterdam and they give residents of the houses like a bunch of candy to give out and they kind of like recruit them to be giving out candy so you go over to this nice. you go over to this part of town and and it's it's nice because it's kind of packed in like a you know amsterdam row house neighborhood and people actually like set things up really nicely like they have little parties it's not like a u.s halloween where they'll like throw out a pumpkin and maybe like a uh, home depot yeah. scary thing and give you some candy but they set up it's like a little party at each door and the kids just go around in packs and uh and they get this yeah stuff. that 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 happened over here like uh neighborhood uh near ours one street every other house was handing out candy you know they had um i'll have to find some video post the video of it like a a guy dressed up in a costume spinning some 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 records and uh yeah plus <laughs> yeah and cotton huh. candy and and you know just and, and then like but the thing was i walked four blocks to get there and did not pass another house. Giving yeah, out yeah, candy. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and so I forget what the name of this is, but, uh, Kim found it cause she's the one who pays attention to anything that's not on a computer. And, uh, basically you pay $7 per children and whatever little group does this, they buy the candy and give it out to people, oh. but it was great. So if you're in Amsterdam next Halloween, try to look up where this, uh, this stuff is. It's over by, uh, the the Zuid the South Station Z U I D mm. and uh, it's just like a little walk from there and it was great it's I I love I love that neighborhood's interpretation of Halloween it was uh, it was ah. good stuff also and, and they just if you if you're in Sydney come to uh, Seaforth uh, Seaforth Public School mm. uh, they they they're street right in front of it just full of kids there you go weird and then also just a minor update since I'm always flighty about this I've still been using the Notability app. So I think I've ditched good notes. I think I, I heartily recommend Notability. I, I did some recordings recently to test out the recording features. We'll see if it actually works as, uh, as promised. But I, I like it. If you're an Apple penciler, it looks pretty good. So this has been Software Defined Talk, uh, which uh, is a podcast you've been listening to. Uh, this is your last chance before the uh, doors close if you're on the wrong flight. Anyhow, uh, we've been, I've referenced the show net several times. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 153. You can probably imagine what you do to that URL if you want to see all the other episodes. Uh, we also have a Slack channel, which you can find by going to that website. A newsletter you can sign up to, which will email you uh, an update with the show notes when an episode's out and all that. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.